0: all right well listen we'll we'll go ahead and open with prayer tonight y'all just agree with me but father we just thank you for this time we thank you for your word and as we humble ourselves we just thank you so much for an open heaven and your glory that's here holy spirit for coming to anoint and empower this time and lord jesus that you're in our midst here i thank you lord for speaking to me everything needs to be spoken under mighty anointing that your Holy Spirit, Lord, breathe upon all of us that are going to be listening and watching to give us good soil of hearts and minds and lives, that this will be powerful and that everything will be said that needs to be said. It'll be living seeds sown into good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. So we thank you for it. And Lord, we submit this unto you. The Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seeds the so Lord. We agree together. We bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this right now from getting where it's supposed to go and accomplish what it's supposed to. We bind you. You will back off right now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing away any resistance and the winds of your spirit carrying this where it it needs to go. And we thank you that the word says it will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for to do. We agree together. Everything will be accomplished. And through this time, it's your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we've been looking at historic revivals. If you haven't heard all these, I encourage you to go back. We looked at the Reformation, and then I looked at the life of um, Wesley, and then we looked at the life of Whitfield last week. And there's just different things that I'm covering as I go. But tonight, we're going to look at Jonathan Edwards. We're still on the awakening, specifically in the mid-1700s. And so, during this time, there was a lot that was going on, and I'm just going to dive into this. This isn't going to be like an extremely long word or anything, but I really want you to take home from this something of great significance, that it's not about charismatic personalities and all the things that people tend to make it. We we really need the anointing because the anointing is what is going to make the difference, okay? So, I want to show you this in the life of Jonathan Edwards. So, I'm going to open with this, Isaiah 64, verse 1. I love this scripture. Isaiah said this, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. Remember at Sinai, that God would rend the heavens and come down. And even though we're not talking about Hebrides, I remember hearing Duncan Campbell talk about it. He said that it wasn't about all of these evangelistic efforts but God, sovereign and supernatural, stepped down, moving in the midst of men. And he said that so many were affected by the power of God and swept into the kingdom. And that's what we need, that God would rend the heavens and come down in power among us. So the mid-1700s, the Moravians devoted themselves to deep intercession and because of the prayers of the Moravians, remember 24-7, this was going on for about 100 years actually, the heavens opened up and God raised up people. God began to answer their prayers and he began to raise up people. Like last week with Whitfield whose family owned a tavern and he was he grew up in so much sin but God raised him up and anointed him mightily. And he raised up the Wesley brothers. They grew up quite different. They grew up in a preacher's home. And it was a time of great persecution. But God raised up these men to be instruments of evangelism. But at the same time that this was going on, in Northampton, Massachusetts, there was God's hand settled upon a pastor there by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Now, he was a brilliant man that studied around 13 hours a day. He inherited his father's church, which he described as being very spiritually dead, like dry bones, okay? He later became the president of Princeton. His eyesight was so bad that he would have to hold a manuscript like this right up to his face to be able to read it, and then he would read or preach in a monotone voice. So I'm going to get to this in a moment, but the effect God gave Jonathan Edwards the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, but the effect of it was so incredibly powerful. It just broke something open. Let me read a little bit about that, and then I'm going to talk about the anointing. But this sermon, which has been much maligned, it was literally a part of our American history, still referred to in many schools today. Just a few years ago, a high school student was telling me that they talked about that um, sermon in his class, and he presented to, to me a little bit in a negative connotation. I said, well, "Well, wait a second, you're getting that garbage from your teacher." I said, "That wasn't that was a powerful move of God," and I started talking about what God was doing. He was like, "Wow, that was powerful." You see, Satan wants to come against stuff like anyway. This was not it, the effect of this sermon was not. The sermon itself was not Jonathan Edwards' typical sermons, by the way. But he was moved on by the Holy Spirit, and he penned it and read the message to the people. But this sermon was very rough. It stated things like the God who dreadfully abhors you, who dangles you over the precipice of hell, much like one who would dangle a spider over a flame, The incredible result of that day were much more answers to prayer as God released his power than due to the content of the sermon. The sermon itself was really, it was rough, it was hard, but the effect of it was so powerful. People began to scream aloud. They clutched the back of pews and pillars of the church, Lest the ground open up beneath them and swallow them alive in the hell. People, much like many places in America right now, were lost, but they attended church for the social and the political membership that it conferred the pulpits likewise. Edwards wrote concerning this time in history, it seemed to be a time of extraordinary dullness in religion. Licentiousness prevailed among the youth of the town. And so let me say that again. It was dullness of religion. People were just going to church because of the social status. It was just a social club, just like you see a lot of today. And again, he said, licentiousness prevailed among the youth. There was sexual immorality. He talked about how the kids ignored their parents and walked the streets partying all night. There's a man named Harold Fisher, a revival researcher, wrote that Edwardstown was actually mild compared to the sins of the rest of New England. When two young people, though died unexpectedly, at that time, Edward's sermon started to get through to the people. By December of 1734, about a half dozen of the congregation truly got saved. After one girl who had been a bold flirt was saved, others began to be concerned about their spiritual walk. God was moving. Something was stirring. And the young rebels of the town began to turn to Christ. There's a man named Lovelace stated that uh, it was like the Jesus movement of its generation. A great and earnest concern about eternity and spiritual matters began to come upon the people as the Holy Spirit began to move and conviction was sweeping the land. About 300 truly gave their lives to Christ in just about six months as the Holy Spirit began to move. So Edward saw the condition. He was preaching but it was difficult. It was like trying to get through to people that it was just a social club. There was no fear of God. It was just religion, and he was trying to get through to that, but God was moving. As the Moravians were praying, the Holy Spirit was beginning to really move upon the lost, and we read about how God began these moves, and as Edwards began to preach in a new way, trying to reach out to people, he began to see kind of the trickles of revival, about six people getting saved. And then Fisher wrote of this time that the town seemed to be full of the presence of God as it never was so full of love, nor so full of joy, yet so full of distress as it was then. He said this, as the revival began to really break forth, sinners in the hands of an angry God was the matchhead that lit, okay? But it said that the public assemblies of God's people were beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service everyone earnestly intent on the public worship, every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister, the assembly from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping for joy and distress, others with joy and love, and still others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. This was the beginning of the most far-reaching and transforming event of the 18th century religious life in America. Revival had come, and it would be later known as the Great Awakening of the mid-1700s. The waves swept through Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, affecting hundreds of towns. Upon hearing the reports, Wesley resounded, Surely this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Benjamin Franklin marveled at the crowds that came to hear people like Whitfield. Many other preachers were raised up and helped work the harvest fields of middle colonies unto the south. David Brainerd, Edward's son-in-law, helped bring the gospel even to the Indians. In 20 years, it is estimated that close to 50,000 people came to know the Lord in America as the Holy Spirit began to move so powerfully. The revival was marked by a great fear of the Lord, resulting in deep repentance of sin and holy living. This was truly a great awakening. So Edwards was facing the same type of problems we're facing right now, just in his generation. And it was just in that time, the way things were, people came to church, it was just a social thing, and kids were out on the streets living in sin, people didn't know the Lord, he had congregations full of people that were just religious. And he was concerned, and he began to preach in earnest, but when, he, when God gave him that sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and he preached that sermon, it was not the content, but it was the anointing on that sermon that caused like a holy fear of God to fall in the room. And people were so gripped with the fear of God, shaken to the core, that the history records that they white-knuckled the pews, they held on to the post, they literally felt like they were a, a spider dangling over the fires of hell by just a thread, and that they were going to go to hell if they didn't get right. It was a fear of God. And let me tell you guys, we need that back in the church today. We desperately need the fear of God again. We need holiness. And that's something that the, only the Holy Spirit can bring in. But my point in this sermon to talk about this revival, it started like, you remember Elijah said, the cloud the size of a man's hand. He saw around six people truly get saved and really repent in his church, and then over a course of a short amount of time, they began to see about 300, but over the course of 20 years, they saw 50,000. So it always starts small, but you got to stay with the move of God. Now, Edwards was not somebody that was a great preacher. He would just preach real monotone, and like I said, he would write things out, his head would be down because of his eyesight, and he would just simply read in a monotone voice like a schoolteacher. And so the fact that that sermon had the effect that it did and that God began to move so mightily in that church shows the importance of the anointing of the Holy Spirit because there's no way that it was him. Here's the danger. There's so many other things that people are depending on out there. I see a lot of times that people get so caught up about the excitement, um, if you will, the entertainment, the the music, and I'm going to share some things just from my heart as I close this out here in a a short time, but I want to talk about the anointing and the glory. People, a lot of times, don't really understand the anointing, and those, a lot of times, people come, and they don't realize that there's kind of an energy that's in entertainment. People get excited. People get worked up. There's an energy in the music. I remember there was a, a minister that had been in the ministry about 50 years. And I, I was in his life. We talked a lot, probably around the time frame of 2003 and four. And he would tell me, he said, because he had been in the ministry about 50 years. So he had a lot of experience. And he said, you know, people don't know the difference between the anointing and the the energy of excitement that's in certain things. Like, for example, he said, we have great worship now, and people really get into the worship, but there's kind of an energy and an excitement in good worship. And he said, people mistake that for the anointing. He's right. There can be an excitement. People people learn how to become great preachers. They learn how to work a crowd. Stand up, lift your hands, shout, come on, and they learn how to do that. They learn how to get everybody excited and whipped up, and everybody's just, it's all an emotional thing, though. And if you're not careful, it can become something that's empty. And people get really excited, they get really emotionally stirred, and that's the end of it. But see, when the anointing really is moving, You don't need all of the hype because the Holy Spirit is going to move into the deep places in people, and he's going to bring the deep change that needs to be brought. And I've coined the phrase, see, a lot of times people don't really understand biblically what witchcraft is in the Bible. You start talking about this, they think of like Wizard of Oz. You have the pointy hat, big old crooked nose, somebody stirring a cauldron, all that. Look, there may be some weirdos out there that are like that, but witchcraft, as far as the Bible is concerned, has to do with control. It also has to do with illegitimate authority. And a lot of times, when people really don't have the anointing that they need to have, have a strong anointing on their life, then they have to result in using forms of manipulation and control, hyped up things, trying to work a crowd. Uh, they'll result it'll result in all these other like a program being put on and all this other stuff that gets people so excited and worked up and they think it's so great and there's some good things in it but at the end of the day i'll give you examples how many times those of you that has been safe for any amount of time and you've lived here with me in dallas you've seen over and over and over so many different things come through here that was good and it was exciting, and it got people really worked up and really excited about this, that, and the other. But once it left town, everything kind of went back like it was with very little change. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it over and over and over again. That's the difference between things being excited and worked up and getting people rallied as opposed to a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we can begin to result in, in being, not meaning to, but there can be like a religious witchcraft. There can be a charismatic witchcraft. What do I mean by charismatic? Well, uh, people that have, uh, a lot of times, I'm saying this in love, and I'm trying to be really careful, but there's, there's people that may be nice looking, and they got really good personalities, and they're funny, and they're great preachers, and all this, and they're charismatic. And that's basically what it is. And it, they know how to get people to follow them and get all excited about this, that, and the other. But that's all it is. See, what I took away from Jonathan Edwards was this. You got somebody that there was nothing about him in the flesh. There was nothing about his uh, oratory ability. There was nothing about his um, his sermon Nothing like that that made the difference except that God showed up. And I love what Catherine Coleman, she was just like that. She was, you know, flamboyant and all that. But Catherine in and of herself had nothing really to offer and she knew it. People, nobody went there, and I'm saying this respectfully, nobody went there because of how beautiful she was or how great of a singer she was or all these different things or she was such an amazing preacher and had such deep, nobody went there for that. They went there because they knew that God was going to show up, and they went there to experience the Lord, and she knew that. I'm saying this in a great deal of respect because she would be the first one. I've read her books. I've heard her sermons. She said this about herself. I had nothing really to offer She told the Lord, I'm, I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best looking. I really don't have any discernible talent. But all I have is this life and I give it to you. Whatever you can do with me. And look what God did. So if we're not careful, we can look to all these other things to draw crowds and get people all hyped up and excited and all this. That's why a lot of times many people come through those type of things and they're excited for a time, but they fall away. Because they really weren't truly changed. Now I love Steve Hill used to say this a lot, and I agree with it. People need an encounter with Jesus Christ. You remember how Saul the Tarsus was? He was he was so religious, zealous. But once he had an encounter with Jesus, he was never the same. It took that one encounter. So, what is the anointing, really? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not necessarily good preaching. It's not good singing. It's not entertainment. It's not all the beautiful decor. It's not the excitement that's in music. It's not the excitement that's in this, that, and the other. It's not programs. It's not how much money a place has, etc. The anointing is God's clothing of power upon his people. It's a clothing of power. And that clothing of power enables us to do what Jesus did in the earth. He said, as I'm sent, I'm sending you. He even said, greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. Now, Matthew 3.11, it's interesting when, when John was asked about Jesus, you know, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. But what did John the Baptist say about Jesus really? He said this. He said that I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. He was talking about washing his feet. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. He said, He will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Isn't that something? So Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. But we've got to have that baptism. And Catherine Coleman used to say this a lot. in my opinion from studying scripture, this is one of those pet doctrines and traditions of men where they want to argue about semantics and they just want to, you know, but there's not just one baptism or one infilling that's going to last you the rest of your life. I believe, and I've experienced, that God wants to anoint us with fresh oil for today. He wants to fill us with his spirit today, not what you had 20 years ago. And I believe there's just a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire for now. And Catherine Coleman used to say, before she would have these really powerful meetings and God really showed up, she would say as she prayed, many times God just kind of baptized her fresh in his spirit and fire, and she would come out in that. So it's a clothing of power. And Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes what? upon you. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior, He come, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and He begins a work in us. We are born again, but there is a work after salvation where Jesus will baptize us in, in the Holy Ghost and with fire, where there is a clothing of power. And that clothing of power, when we begin to operate in that, there will be power to see, whether it be the sick, healed, demons flee, or whatever, you will begin to see the power of God in the earth. And Acts 1-8, you will receive that power when the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't say here comes in you, that's a salvation experience, but he says when he comes upon you. And you also see that in Luke 24-49, I love that scripture, and Jesus says, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit, And he said, until you be clothed with power from on high. How many of you, there was a time that you'd accepted Jesus as your savior, but you knew that after that, there was a baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire, and you knew that something different was in your life after that. How many can say that? I know I can. And I'm gonna tell you, that there's nowhere in the Bible that says that that's just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. There's more. There's more for today. I thank God for how God moved in my life back in different times in the 90s and early 2000s, etc. cetera. But I want a fresh move of God today. I want a fresh anointing now in my life. This is not hype. This isn't getting people all worked up and working a crowd and getting everybody all excited about this, that, and the other. This is where God begins to penetrate to the deep places in people. The anointing is the only remedy. When the anointing is there and is at work, the sinner will be convicted. Why do you think it is that there's so many places today where there's large crowds, but nobody's convicted of their sin? Nobody's coming down to the altar and repenting. Nobody's talking about how God... Came upon them and they wept and they that godly sorrow that led them to repentance and they 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 got this out of their life and that out of their life and they they were doing this and they, you don't hear that in a lot of places anymore. Why? Because it's become about all the other things, the decor, the programs, the social club, all the other things. That's what it's about, and that's what people are coming for. And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit really moved in there in power that it would cause a great divide. There would be a group of people that would respond and they would really repent and get saved and they, they would totally change. The Holy Spirit would transform them. But there would be a group of people that would exit out the back door. They would be angry. They wouldn't want it and they would leave and never see him again. They're not there for that. what is the anointing? Well, number one, the anointing will convict the sinner and bring in a true harvest. The anointing on somebody's life, this is where Mark chapter 16 comes in. Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. They will speak in new tongues. See, that's the baptism in the Holy Ghost. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, and they will drive out demons. That's the anointing. And so we talk about the anointing, but what's the glory? The glory is God's manifest presence that comes into a place, into a person's life. And it seems like that the priesthood was anointed so that they could go into the glory. And so with that said, it seems like God will anoint us, and then we will begin to move into dimensions of His glory but the glory that comes into a place takes the frustrations out. The glory that comes in, many times just the glory itself will cause a comfort, will cause healing in people, will cause healing in relationships, and will cause the demonic to be kind of tormented, if you will, and cry out. But the glory, that manifest presence coming in will take away so many frustrations. Now, that's what they experienced at Azusa Street. If you read about the Azusa Street revival, the glory of God came in, and people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but because of the glory that was there so thick, there was tremendous healings and miracles that were reported there. There were so many, you should read about them. That was what one of the things that really marked Azusa Street. The first thing would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues, but the second thing would be the healings and miracles. They were remarkable. The signs and wonders that were there. There was reports of fire over the building. There was many reports of people that there was a tangible glory cloud in the meeting pretty much on a regular basis. As they really worshipped and got in the Spirit, you could see a haze in the room. And they, there was tremendous miracles where people would come in with, with something on their skin that would just fall off on the ground. They, they would have tumors disappear, all kinds of things just disappear. People, uh, vision restored, radical miracles to the degree that one man was missing an arm and it grew back in full view of those that were there. But this is because of the glory being in the midst. Now, what is an open heaven? Jesus said in John 151, you you'll see the heavens open over me and the angels ascending and descending upon me. In open heaven, Satan wants to brass the heavens over a region. We're here in Dallas. There's principalities and powers that want to lock things up overhead. But persistent prayer and fasting and deep repentance in this area will pierce the heavens open and clear the darkness back. It has to part to the left and to the right, and it will create an open heaven where the glory of God can come in because that open heaven, angels ascend and descend. It's an awesome thing, but all of this is going to be rooted in the fact that God's people are people of prayer. I don't believe this just happens. Every revival that I've studied, prayer is the key and even in this first great awakening, you see the prayers of the Moravians. And because of their prayers, the heavens began to be open, The Holy Spirit began to move. God came mightily upon certain people and clothed them with power. The glory came into locations, and we see the result of it, but it was prayer that brought it about. And in this first great awakening in our nation, we desperately needed it. It was a time of dead religion. Many knew about the Lord, but they didn't know him. And as the Holy Spirit began to move, and it was like the catalyst. You know, there's a fullness of time. It was like when Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, something lit right then, and it just released, and people began to get saved. The Holy Spirit began to move in the community, and then pretty soon the Holy Spirit was going to different towns. The Holy Spirit began to sweep through different states up in New England and and down south, and more and more laborers were being raised up until thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to know the Lord, that God might do it again. We desperately need a move of God in our time, but it's not going to be a bunch of hype that's going to get the job done. It's going to have to be a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, the conviction of the Holy Spirit as something that only God can do. How many want something genuine? You know, as I think about today what's going on, there's so many things, and, and things. there's some good things. There's some good things. But I'm concerned because... It seems like the, the generation that really knew the power of God, that many of them are dying off. Many of them are now quite elderly. And we're seeing a younger generation coming up that really doesn't know that, and we need that because it's the experience of a genuine move of God that ruins people for the rest of their life. They'll never be content after that with church as usual. They'll always be hungry for more. And I just feel that I feel there's a stirring and river of life. There's a hunger for more. I know it. I know you feel it. I feel it. And as we read over these historic revivals, I want you to think about God has done this over and over and over and over through history. And he promised us, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh in the latter days. So we're living in the time when God said he would do it. He said, ask me for rain in the time of rain. It is, it is time. It is that time. for for us to see a mighty move of God. And so tonight, I'm going to close out with prayer, but I want you to really be inspired by this. It's not just like Jonathan Edwards. He just had a paper in front of his face. He was just reading it. The Holy Spirit fell and produced results that he never saw before, but it was by the Spirit that that happened. It was not his great ability It wasn't his good looks. It wasn't his charismatic personality. It wasn't anything about the decor in the church. It wasn't about the programs they had going. It was the anointing that made the difference. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight that you move upon every one of us. Now, I feel like even as I'm preaching, I feel like there's something, of course, it's territorial in this region, but there can be things territorially that are resisting revival. And, Lord, we we bind up every religious spirit right now, things that are associated with pet doctrines, traditions of men, things that try to lock things up. We break your power, and we bind you, and you will back off right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we apply the blood over the harvest you have for us. We bind the enemy. You will release that harvest now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you for angels being sent that will drive back the tides of darkness and break through and gather in the sheaves. And Lord, that we might see it again in our day, as we've read about last week, the scripture renew them in our day, Lord, let, that you would rid the heavens and you would come down. Lord, we ask you, sovereign and supernatural, Lord, that you would anoint us like never before, let the heavens open, let your glory come down, let there be such a move of the Holy Spirit that the, the worst of sinners are saved, I mean, a deep conviction of the Holy Spirit, what will penetrate Lord, let it come. And, Lord, I'm talking a move of God that will not only save the lost, but deeply sanctify your people, a bride ready to meet you in the air. Wise virgins with extra oil. Lord, do it again in our day. Breakthrough in Jesus' name. Believe it. We expect it. We're hungry. And we thank you for it now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.